Welcome to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT. And if you're new to the program, this show is designed to educate its listeners on the industry's best practices involving the design and construction of a single-family custom residential home, your dream home. A custom home can be small or large. It can be located in a rural community or in a large city. What makes it custom is intentional design. It's a home designed and built with a particular family in mind, yours. It's a home that maximizes your family's enjoyment of the structure while addressing such concerns as indoor air quality and minimizing the annual cost to heat and cool the property. These considerations can help your dream home qualify as more than just a custom home. It can be a high-performance home. Even though high-performance homes do not necessarily cost more than traditionally built homes, not all architects and custom home builders build high-performance homes. A high-performance home delivers far greater value to you than a traditionally built home. In this program, we teach you the benefits of a high-performance home and how to ensure your architect and custom builder build your dream home as a high-performance home. And if your dream home is a home that has already been built, we share with you the most cost-effective modifications you can make to bring your home up to high-performance standards. How do we do these things? By inviting industry-leading architects, custom home builders, and other home design and construction professionals to share their knowledge with you. My guest today is Warren K. Lloyd, AIA Lead AP. Warren has been practicing architecture for more than 20 years. He received his Master's of Architecture from the University of Washington in 1991. And during his graduate work, he was a Manbushu scholar at Kobe University in Japan for two years. Warren's personal interest in architecture has led him to seek innovative and sustainable uses of traditional wood construction in his projects. And those projects are located throughout the Intermountain West, the Pacific Northwest, and Japan. He worked in Seattle and Japan for several noted architects, including NBBJ, the Miller Hole Partnership, and Thomas L. Bosworth, FAIA. Warren was named a partner of Lloyd Architects in Salt Lake City in 1998. He was named managing partner in 2000 and principal in 2001. Warren is the 2023 AIA CRAN National Chairman, and Lloyd Architects was named 2022 Firm of the Year by AIA Utah. Warren, welcome to the program. Thank you, KT. It's good to be on with you today. So Warren, we served together on the AIA CRAN National Executive Committee. That's a group of about 3,000 architects who primarily practice residential architecture, with you serving, of course, as chair. It's been my privilege to get to know you over the last few years. I've come to appreciate your commitment to exceptional design, the way you support emerging professionals in our field, that's those young men and women entering uh, residential architecture, and your conscious effort to encourage and support others in the profession through your work with AIA Utah and with CRAN National. Well, KT, it's been great to, to work with you and that's in that community because that is uh, that does feel like a like a family to me. So <laughs> I, I know that <laughs> that that is how you feel about it. So, um, Warren, in an earlier show, I encourage listeners not to just choose any architect to design their new home. I encourage them to be a, a bit more thoughtful and to choose an architect who specializes in residential design. Um, and then recently I had a guest on, and she's an architect. She specializes in residential architecture. And she gave an illustration. She mentioned that her friend, who is also an architect, 
but who specializes in commercial architecture, asked her to design his home. She said to him, you're an architect. Why are you coming to me? And he said, well, I know commercial architecture, but I want someone who specializes in residential architecture to design the place uh, that I'm going to call home. So that brings up a question in my mind, because I know you do both. You, you do fantastic work commercial and fantastic work residential. Could there be an actual advantage to having an architect that is um, experienced in both disciplines? Oh, that, that's uh, that's a really interesting point, KT. The um, uh, residential architecture uh, has become a, a complicated venture. And so to, to that question, yes, I think there are times in which uh, residential architecture needs to draw upon the, the best resources that a, uh, that a registered architect and one who understands commercial buildings could bring to it when it uh, has to do with, with processes, systems, materials, engineering. But I think that everyone recognizes that designing a house and designing a home for uh, your family is such a different activity than than a school or or an office building that uh, obviously, you know, they they feel like very different uh, activities. And we've been we've been fortunate in, in our office to have team members that definitely want to do both. They love the personal uh, connection. The, uh, the cl- your, your end user is your client. All of these things about residential architecture that, uh, that make it fulfilling. Uh, but also being able to work in the public sphere is, is pretty fun as well. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It just brings back memories for me. Um, I ran for... Um, director at large for AIA National a few years ago. And yeah. part of the process of running for national office at AIA is um, you've got to talk to tons of architects. And so I would ask them questions about, you know, how, how they enjoy the experience. And it was really interesting to me how many architects are working in commercial design um, uh, firms but secretly want to be doing residential design. They would just share that with me. You just don't know how much I love residential design, but I'm so comfortable in my current job. I don't want to make a change. Well, it is. uh, It it could be a a portion of the grass is always greener on the other side (laughs) of the fence because you you look at the type of, in some uh, levels, you have such freedom uh, to, to work with uh, directly with the user and to connect directly with them, their, their family and, and others. Um, that's a pretty fulfilling part of, um, of, of architecture. And the residential architecture certainly has its constraints and limitations. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that as well. Yeah, I think the grass is always greater. That's a perfect way to sum it up. So, um, so, Warren, I really enjoyed going through uh, your website. And one of the things that I realized was that you're building, you're designing, I should say, um, custom homes in a multitude of different environments, different settings. Homes, they're in the mountains. And in the winter, there's six feet of snow all around. (laughs) And you're designing homes by the water. Uh, homes in the city, uh, homes in, in, in different states with different environments. Is there um, a common thread through the homes that you design that doesn't matter where they're located that really, um, like uh, you can tell a, a, a painting who painted it many times by yeah. some some commonality where you like recognize, oh, that was painted by so-and-so. Is there that kind of thing with the homes you design where there's something that people would recognize is characteristic of homes designed by Lloyd Architects? That's a great question. And uh, to answer that question, I think just a background of, of how my career started. 
I grew up in Utah, and uh, my architectural training uh, was mostly founded in the Pacific Northwest and ended up practicing in Japan. And so across that arc of regions, uh, very different environments, but I think there were some common threads in, in that work. And one of those is wood frame construction. And I've always had a passion for that as both a structural element, uh, as well as an aesthetic uh, uh, part of, of the buildings. And uh, so I think our work tries to respond to the site and its location. Uh, and the, the favorite compliment I hear of people saying is that they look at uh, our work and say that no two projects are really alike, and yet there's a there's a common feel through them. Hmm. And so, understanding a sense of place and uh, as well as uh, responding to that, it would be uh, hopefully what what I think uh, our clients see. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, I'm going to give you just a little heads up, Warren. So when we come back, I've just got a number of questions to ask you, but um, I, I I really want to talk about how designing a custom home doesn't mean that you always have to start from scratch with the, the, the structure that you're going to be building as a custom home. You can start with something that already exists. And I know you have a little bit of experience right. with reuse, repurposing, restoration. And I can't wait to get you to kind of weigh in on that. And I think a lot of the listeners is going to expand their, their mind when they realize some of the really cool stuff you can do with existing structures. So uh, we'll come back to that in just a few moments. A few moments you're listening to Designing and building your dream home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll be right back. Did you know that with certain designs and construction techniques, you can completely eliminate the cost of heating and cooling your home each month? For some homeowners, that can represent a savings of $5,000 to $10,000 a year with no loss in comfort. Want to learn more? Be sure and listen to Designing and Building Your Dream Home with your host, KT, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. right here on 1150 KKNW. Dr. Sanjay Gupta brings you health tips for a better life Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., 8 a.m., and 5 p.m. right here on KKNW. Welcome back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and with us is Warren Lloyd of Lloyd Architects. So right before the break, I uh, set the stage by telling um, Warren, I wanted him to, to um, expand on the idea of the structure, the framework that contains your custom home, not having to be created from scratch. And... In fact, some of the coolest custom homes that I have seen, they start out as a structure that's no longer being used for the purpose for which it was created, uh, rather than tearing that structure down and starting uh, afresh with everything with the help of an experienced architect. And I had one of these projects and I need an architect, I need a structural engineer, I need a marine biologist, this is a big deal. Uh, but with the, the help of an experienced architect, an abandoned building could be the foundation for your really cool custom home. Uh, with the architect, they can help you artfully restore, rebuild and repurpose that structure. And you're gonna come away with something that is more attractive than if you had started from ground zero. And just to give you a little bit of quick background, I restored this old building that had sat vacant for 40 years. And um, we came in and uh, restructured the the interior, so all new steel uh, support. And um, I was able to take, uh, this building was built in the 1800s, take all that original clear Douglas fir that's just not even available anymore. I took uh, that and I had 
um, local craftsmen mill it down. And we use that Doug fir to build custom cabinets, custom furniture, the exterior doors, the trim. Uh, I had a local blacksmith forge all the door hardware. And I had a, a glass artist do uh, custom blown glass fixtures. Uh, we had glass countertops. That was a, a different uh, treatment called sump. Uh, new concrete floors. This place was so amazingly when we were done. It would not have looked anything like that if we had just started out uh, uh, fresh. So uh, Warren, I know that you believe in reuse and repurposing of existing structures. Do you have any stories you can share with our listeners about the advantage of maybe taking an old building and turning that into your custom home? Sure. Uh, we've done uh, a number of those projects, um, some by necessity and uh, some by opportunity, because I say necessity uh, that um, I can think of a time during the Great Recession in which the new construction housing market basically ground to a halt. And there was uh, a period of a year and a half because of the bubble economy where no new builds were happening. But the people still had, um, uh, still were living in homes and had needs to renovate and restore. And so that was one period in time in which we, we did renovation work. And um, one of the experiences that I gained out of that was just uh, how fulfilling problem solving in existing spaces could be but also that it gave me the opportunity to work in neighborhoods and locations and with buildings that I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to work with. So that uh, uh, we have continued to, um, to take on those type of projects, even though they're more labor intensive, Agreed. they are uh, more problem solving <laughs> exercises, like, like the description you told that, that every element becomes uh, another little exercise to deal with. But um, it really, in so many ways, is um, uh, the way towards a, a more sustainable and resilient architecture. And um, Many people have, have heard the adage that the greenest building is the one that's not built. And to that point that um, the idea of reutilized embodied energy in existing structures is how I think Lloyd Architects has certainly uh, best displayed our um, uh, commitment to sustainability. Oh man, yeah, I, I love hearing you explain it like that. I work with a lot of uh, uh, remodelers also, not just custom home builders, but I'm on the um, uh, executive, executive committee for the NHB Remodelers Council. And it's so funny because right. uh, the remodelers tell me that the custom builders haven't made. They, like, they, they, they just don't really have to work that hard and everything's super easy because everything's brand new. And the remodelers, they're, they're <laughs> always telling me, you know, hey, we are the geniuses because remodelers yes. have to work with what's there. And that's way harder than creating something from scratch. <laughs> well, and you don't really learn that in architecture school. Uh, I think most, uh, at least traditionally, most people have gone to architecture school thinking about creating uh, uh, spaces places and, and buildings, and uh, that um, the aspect of uh, transforming uh, a space into another purpose uh, is, is such a, uh, a more intensive and, and to me personally, a, a fulfilling experience. And that's where, uh, back to your original question about, about understanding commercial architecture, you know that if you have that that broad bandwidth of, of you know understanding the techniques of the trade for uh, preservation rehabilitation seismic uh, you, there's a lot of pieces that you need to to know but if you have that uh, command of, of those tools then you can have a a, a very fulfilling project in, in a variety of spaces Neat. for example our our office that we office in is a boarded house of 40 years or was a boarded house of 40 years that we converted. In that case, it was converted to a commercial space. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so thinking about uh, you know, the commercial activities is, is important for a residential architect to, 
to be aware of. Yeah, especially post-COVID where, you know, a lot of people were working from home. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question because I was on your site looking at some of your projects and, you know, we all know that in, in the area where you live and, and design a number of homes, it gets very cold in the winter. And I saw the snow uh, stacked mm-hmm. up alongside these I, mountain cabins. And um, yeah, I guess my first question is, when you are designing a home, especially in, a, in an area that, that has some extreme uh, uh, highs and lows of temperature, let's say I, I love the earth. I, I want the earth to continue on. I want to minimize uh, my personal damage to the earth and other people feel that way too. But at the end of the day, I only have so much money to spend on my house. And so right. as much as yeah. I want to be earth conscious, you know, there's stuff that I want in my house. Uh, like I want the nice refrigerator. I, I want the nice gas range. I want that stuff. So, yeah. you know, no project has really an unlimited budget. I, I don't think I haven't come across one. So if, if, if a customer is looking, is engaged with you, and and they they want to to minimize the cost of heating and cooling their home, they do care about air, indoor air quality. They they care about not just wasting water. You know, like in in Salt yeah. Lake, Great Salt Lake, it's like I I can't even believe how low it is right now. And some some builders told me that part of the challenge is the growth of homes in the area and those homes are pulling water from the sources that feed great salt lake so you know a person's got all these things in their mind they want to minimize their impact but they only have so much money so can you suggest things that maybe are like little or no cost that that a person can implement in their home to 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 minimize their negative impact on the environment and maximize well, their ability to enjoy the I, I think I know where you're headed uh, on this, okay. KT. And it really is um, starting with uh, the pre-designed scope uh, of the project. And I would say the first order of business is to really understand what spaces you need and what spaces you don't need. And the, the areas where we felt like we have provided value uh, to clients is to help them understand that they could live comfortably uh, in a home that's a thousand feet smaller than what um, they their their builder may have suggested. Wow! <laughs> or, or some of the spaces that they they walk through, and so so I think it begins uh, uh, at the planning stages, and okay. so uh, so if if you were coming to me to design a new home, or if it was an existing structure, I think the answer is still to really evaluate these spaces and say, how can we create spaces that work for you and um, build less of it, but higher quality? So, you know, so that's you, number one. Before, before you continue that. on, it just totally reminds me of going to a buffet. And I remember when I was young, yeah. my mom would say, don't get two plates, get one plate, <laughs> Just put a little of of the stuff you like on your plate and eat that and then see if you need more. So when you're explaining to the the homeowner says to the builder, I may not need all the space you're thinking of. Let's start smaller. Well, that's that's exactly right. And it is this exercise of 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 knowing that. You could create a, a room for everything you could possibly envision, and, and you could build one of those, or, or you could be smart. and And I think there there are some nice analogies to the buffet line, uh, <laughs> where you just you know, thinking about um, you know thinking about what uh, is um, is a space that's really going to be right for me and my family in this condition, and know that there are potentials that uh, if something is well constructed. Um, it also can be be modified for future use. So nice. I think one of the that's also another discussion that, that we have is when when a homeowner uh, is thinking about this major investment in their life, they're thinking I, I may have one chance at this, and I need to envision everything that's going to happen for the rest of my life happening here in this house. And while that's good to think about, 
I think you also need to, to think about you know responding to your needs now uh, and and knowing that the unknown happens, life happens, and and that you know, rarely things uh, have that trajectory the way we envision them uh, in the long term. Yeah, that's well said. And I know on your website, you you have it broken out by um, things that can minimize the cause of heating and cooling your home and make you more comfortable. What 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 yes. I refer to as high performance home, um, but you've got mm-hmm. like uh, little or no cost things that can be done. You've got low cost things. You've got high cost. So the sure. the uh, y- y- your client can actually work with you to, to like at the minimum do the little or no cost things, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's another thing to, you know, just to keep in mind as you're planning and thinking that um, that. If you hire an architect, you expect that that there is a standard of care that they're they're aware of the improvements in thermal performance of materials. And since I began my practice, it's actually been thirty years, not twenty years. And that over that time period, the the performance of building products has just uh, improved dramatically. Uh, and so you know you can get a, a much higher performing window. Uh, and wall system and the building envelope, we have the ability to understand building science in a way that is going to create a, a, a better environment in, in cold climates. Um, but we also can look at other uh, systems and evaluate those systems. So from a low or no cost uh, thing, it's the planning ideas. It's uh, you know, it's it's utilizing space well. It's uh, it's the programming those things. The little costs are the things like um, insulation and, and detailing and having a set of uh, drawings that you work with a builder on to ensure that the the envelope is is tight and that um, you know materials are used in a way that's going to be durable. Um, then there are the the, the high. Uh, price things, some of which are are cool, sexy ideas. And, and there are active systems that uh, are also wonderful. I think that um, um, that PV solar and ground source geothermal, and there are active mechanical systems that are, are also part of the equation. But I, I think that we would certainly want to start from um, no cost, low cost things, and, and then you know work into it. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to kind of spell that out. So we're going to take a quick break, um, but uh, before we do, uh, I want to just kind of set the stage um, for you to just kind of be thinking through, uh, Warren. So um, I know that early in your career, you spent time working at an architectural firm in Japan, and I'm wondering. Does that have an effect on the way you design homes? So I'll just leave you with that thought and we'll be right back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll see you in a few moments. Are you thinking of building a new home? A beautiful residence, custom designed to meet the needs of your family. If you are, then get started by listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home with your host, KT. The show features interviews with award-winning residential architects, custom home builders, and other residential design and construction industry experts who will share their knowledge and expertise with you. That's Tuesdays at 1 p.m. right here on 1150 KKNW. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and with us is Warren Lloyd of Lloyd Architects. So Warren, right before the break, I asked you about the time you spent working in Japan and whether or not that had an effect on the way you design homes. Can you um, expound on that for us? Sure, I uh, love Japan. And uh, at an early age, I had a volunteer opportunity there and, and that opened my eyes to um, to an amazing culture that was just so much um, uh, interesting, exciting things. I, I loved uh, um, the onsen, I loved the, the 
architecture, the relationship of nature. And so I never really got it out of my system and uh, uh, had the chance to go back uh, to do my uh, master's thesis research at, at Kobe University. But there are a number of things uh, about the Japanese house that are so instructive and informative. And I think they continued to um, to instruct and guide uh, you know, my work today. And one of them comes back to some of the points that we've been talking about, which is thinking of the scale of space. And the traditional Japanese house is, uh, is so uniquely scaled and the, the rooms, the, the bedroom functions as the sitting room and the gathering room. And, um, Futons are put away during the day. There are a lot of things about that Japanese lifestyle that, that I think are, are helpful. And while um, I don't live that way anymore in terms of uh, sleeping on futons and tatami, um, there's certainly something, those threads that, that, uh, that carry through, uh, through our work now. When I went back to uh, Japan in the 90s to, um, to work, it was actually with a, a design build firm. At that time, the export housing market from the U.S. Uh, into Japan was was a big push, and um, American industries were trying to, <clears throat> to to figure out how uh, building costs could be reduced and to make uh, housing more affordably constructed in Japan. Which is kind of interesting thinking back on that that chapter. That uh, while we were trying to figure out how to um, to have prefabrication and panelization work in the Japanese market. Uh, conversely, I think I was just as as influenced by their thinking about uh, traditional Japanese architecture. Interesting, um, interesting. So when I'm thinking about uh, uh, a Japanese home, I, I had no basis for this comment, but you know, mm-hmm. watching movies, but I don't envision that an architect designing a home in Japan is just building the biggest home they can possibly build for every customer that comes by. It seems like that their culture is, is they really consider stuff like, you know, the value of it and, and the, the, the overall. Well, certainly. Yeah. I think that there is cultural and economic reasons for that. Land prices are very expensive in Japan. And so um, they don't have the, the culture of, of, of sprawl. Uh, That's in a good the way to put way it. That, that I, I think that we have, you know, that, that the U.S. Uh, building market has, has happened. And so um, the, um, the post-war ranch uh, home style house that's built on a third acre lot just doesn't exist anywhere in, in Japan. And so um, so I think reducing scale down to, to more of the human scale um, is an economic reality as much as it is a, a cultural feel that we, they, we don't want to create um, big yards and lawns to mow. But I've certainly been uh, uh, looked at some beautiful houses here with my Japanese colleagues and they admire uh, and maybe envy the the, uh, the opportunities we have for uh, for large sites and you know to be able to work in a in a different context. Well, you know, I start off the intro of the show by saying that that's one of the cool things about uh, uh, designing uh, a custom home uh, for your family, uh, working with your architect, because a custom home can be big, it can be sprawling. A custom home can be very yeah. efficient and very small. It's what makes you happy. And working with your architect, you're gonna, the architect's gonna help you figure out what elements are gonna make you very, very happy, very comfortable, very proud of your home. And and I liked how you kind of explained it. Well, here, let me just change the subject just a little bit because everybody who's thinking of having a custom home uh, built it needs the architect, they need someone to design it, but just as importantly, they need somebody to build it. So I got to imagine that there's, there's scores of custom builders in the communities that you build. Um, are there things that you look for 
in like, like a par- a strategic partner, like a builder that you can count on because they know how you design and you know that they are going to do a great job building your client's home. So are there things that you look for in choosing a builder to form a strategic partnership with, things that you could share with the listeners that they could look for when they're looking for a custom builder? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the the biggest differences between the residential architectural practice and commercial architecture has to do with relationships uh, with uh, the contractor. And so um, we are in a realm that uh, by codes, uh, typically in most states in this country, uh, one and two story houses do not require an architectural license to build. So, so we understand that we're in, we are in a uh, you know a different arena, and, and that um, whereas commercial projects still may be in a design bid build type of environment, we've never found that that uh, really works in the residential market, um, which is a long way of saying the builder is essential uh, in uh, you know in the residential market. And we have found that for us, the, the best opportunity is to identify a builder that has, that has our trust and ultimately can gain the trust of the, the, the client or the homeowner. And so uh, developing a, a, a design process in which uh, the custom builder is at the table is, is really critical projects. Um, some architects have, have successfully navigated the, the design build path where they wear both hats and, uh, and I admire them and applaud them. Uh, <laughs> for us, what we've found is that uh, we want to, uh, to, to, uh, to work collaboratively with, with good builders, but still uh, allow the separation, which allows us to truly represent the homeowner in that process. And so, you know, at the end of the day, our responsibility to is ensure that um, the design intent of what we design is constructed. Uh, and, and, and that's actually built by the builder. And so, so if you think about it as a bus analogy that, that we're driving the bus uh, uh, through the design process, but the builder is there on the bus. And, you know, once the, the permit is issued, the, the, then the seats change. And then the uh, the contractor is driving at that point, and we need to allow him to um, to construct the building uh, with his means and methods, and we're there to support and to ensure that the the design intent is met for the homeowner. Well, that's a great way to kind of sum it up, and it makes a lot of sense. And you, you mentioned working for the directly for the homeowner. Um, we talked about that in an earlier program of how in commercial construction, oftentimes the uh, project owner will hire uh, a, another construction firm to really be their technical representative and working with the contractor that they hire to build the project. And, um, and mm-hmm. in, in residential design, um, because you know many people haven't built a custom home uh, before and their first time, having the architect um, involved, even if your community doesn't require that there be an architect, having an architect involved can actually work to your advantage because the architect will be your technical um, representative and working with the builder. So the architect is going to be able to understand when the when the builder submits uh, their invoice for payment, the architect's going to be able to double check that the things that are, are being requested uh, to be paid for are actually done and actually done to the standard that's expected. So um, having the architect involved can really save you a lot of frustration and, and money, even if the community that you are building in doesn't specifically require that you have an architect design the home. Definitely, that's what we are trying to communicate to uh, to homeowners when they when they recognize that um, custom designed uh, houses make up a very small fraction uh, of our housing stock, 
And in in many ways, it is a luxury to, to be able to to work with an architect on that sense. But we we think that there are enough uh, situations and locations where um, it's more than a luxury. It, it's an opportunity to, to to really create something that's not otherwise doable. And um, I, over the years, have uh, talked to people and felt like the messier the site, the more complicated the site, uh, the more valuable our services become. Because if it's a greenfield site that's uh, entitled and platted and flat, um, there are uh, there are a hundred of designs that, that can go on that site and be constructed. But uh, when we think about uh, something creating something unique, either programmatically uh, or or responsively to the site or, or the to the client uh, to these sort of conditions, that's where the investment in good design. Uh, pays off ultimately. Well, I would normally take a break right here, but I'm having so much fun listening to you spell out this process. I'm skipping the break. We're just going to keep marching forward. So, (laughs) (laughs) so Warren, you live in a haven for those who love winter sports. You live there. Uh, You live there. If your most of your life, right, and your family's from there. Your dad. Well, I, I I I I grew up here, and and uh, you know uh, have ancestors here, and so so yes, I, I'm a I'm a Utah, and uh, what has been interesting to see in the course of my lifetime is to see the uh, Great Basin, this area in which we live. Um, be discovered and and put on the map. It um, um, has been considered a, a flyover state, and it's uh, a lot of people you know don't really know this time zone between um, uh, you know west of the Rockies and and east of the coast. But but yeah, it's been a great home f- for me. And what has been fascinating to um, to watch is as I came back to Utah after being away for uh, you know more than a decade um, is to see um, this place um, be discovered and so so yes it, it is uh, I think it has the best skiing in the world and uh, and this year after several years of drought we suddenly had um, 900 inches of snow uh, at, oh, at Alta Ski Resort which is <laughs> Which is seventy-five feet uh, of, wow. of snow this season. So, so, so this was a great, uh, a great time to be a skier in Utah. But, but our work, uh, you know, uh, is attuned to that, and, and a lot of what we do uh, is work along the Wasatch Front and what we call the Wasatch Back, which is um, uh, Park City, uh, the Heber Valley, the, the, these areas. And so, um, so thinking about that uh, now. Uh, from this perspective of being in a place that suddenly has been discovered, uh, how do we protect it? And and how do we um, work in a responsible way that uh, that creates, uh, you know, that meets the demand? Uh, Utah is, I think it's one of the fastest growing uh, states in the country um, with, um, with this um, natural resource that we've got. And so, so that's been an interesting uh, challenge to think of, uh, you know, in my work and in, in our firm is uh, how are we accountable to be re- socially responsible, environmentally responsible, uh, while we're, uh, you know, uh, uh, accommodating the growth that's happening here. So if I'm looking to, to build a vacation home and I'm, I love snowboarding, um, is there, you mentioned, was it Wasatch? Are there a couple areas that you would encourage me to, to look at in terms of trying to, to find a location for my uh, ski cabin? Well, uh, you know, we live in the part of the Wasatch range, which actually is, is somewhat of a a loop. And so um, uh, there are, Seven ski resorts, I think, if I have my numbers right, that that are kind of you know right within an hour's drive of downtown Salt Lake and, and our international airport, and so so that has uh, created lots of opportunities and pressure. 
And so um, um, one of the things that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look at, and this is my pitch for our, uh, our AIA CRAN symposium, which is going to be held here in the fall, is that we will be focusing on uh, the houses that have been constructed uh, in and around uh, the, the mountains of Salt Lake. And so um, the, the Park City area, the Heber Valley, the Wasatch Front, the Ogden Valley, you know, th these are all areas that are, are now experiencing, well, they have been for, for a number of years, certainly since the Olympics, uh, now over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But they, they continue to have a, a lot of you know, development pressure um, uh, and to responsibly develop uh, you know, things that are appropriate that allow access to to the wilderness without uh, degrading it is, you know, is, is certainly one of the things that are top on our mind. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned the CRAN Symposium and uh, just for the listeners, the uh, uh, Warren and I both serve on the AIA's Custom Residential Architects Network at the national level. And each year we put on an event for architects primarily and custom builders as well who design and build residential um, uh, properties. And it's kind of a, a, a highly curated event where we're doing continuing ed training. Uh, we're sharing best practices. It's a great event. This year we're at... Uh, we're in Salt Lake City, and then next year we're going to be in Seattle. So, um, Warren, I'm just going to toot your horn for you a little bit here. So, I counted on your website 23 awards that your firm has won for architectural design. And I was going to count up the number of articles that have been written about your projects. But honestly, I lost count twice. And I thought, <laughs> KT, that's kind of you, but but I think if you if you do things long enough, sometimes uh, things just start to catch up with you. So I don't know whether to be flattered by that or to think, gosh, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> it's true. That part is true. It's true. But that's a good thing. So with all of your experience uh, supporting architects uh, throughout the U.S. Um, and working with young people. Uh, there in your local uh, community, uh, I know that you, that diversity, even in your organization, is a big deal. It's like, what what are you the most proud of from your distinguished career in architecture? Oh, I think there have been a, a lot of things, but uh, I certainly uh, take a lot of uh, joy and satisfaction in seeing. Um, you mentioned this next generation, and um, and so. Um, we have built a, a firm that is uh, is um, uh, a majority women operated and uh, and and more diverse than the than than you would expect uh, nice. for Utah, and that's been uh, that's been satisfying. And actually, seeing the the approach that these emerging professionals uh, have towards um, towards building. Uh, and I think that they definitely keep me on my toes uh, about, you know, are, are we making responsible choices? Are we doing things in a, in a way that's, that's making um, life better uh, and, and more equitable? And are we participating uh, across the board? Um, we frankly do design uh, expensive homes, uh, and that's just the reality of, of you know, of, of custom residential work, but we're also involved um, in uh, solving these housing projects. Right now, we're working on a, a, a pro bono project for tiny houses. And I think that that's um, been a good exercise for us to see how can a 335 square foot uh, house function as uh, as a home. And, and thinking just as, um, very uh, basically about, about those types of human needs. And uh, to be able to, to create a, a practice that, that works across the spectrum uh, has certainly been uh, as satisfying as, as seeing any other one particular house uh, either uh, have some recognition or press. Nice. So if, if I'm listening <clears throat> and I'm thinking that I, I – I'm getting close. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I want my own 
custom home that was designed based on the needs of my family. I am a snowboarder and uh, I heard Warren speak to how cool Utah is. Uh, let me get this ball rolling. How, what's the best way for uh, our listeners to reach out to Lloyd Architects? Well, uh, certainly look at our website. And, and if there are things that resonate with you, that's a good sign. If nothing there, uh, you know, uh, appeals to you, that's maybe also a sign. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'd love to, we are in a, uh, a place where, where we do like to respond to people. And, and we may not be the right fit for everyone, but, but we certainly want to um uh, think about opportunities uh, in this region, and and we certainly do, are, are working beyond uh, the Intermountain West. Uh, so, uh, so while I um, uh, I still liked the Northwest, and we've we've got projects now in um, Nevada, Arizona, and Idaho, and so I, I think you know regionally, uh, can we create that same type of personal experience uh, to uh, to our clientele is 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 one of the the other issues that we're dealing with so um come to our website uh, look it over uh, you know send us a, a post or a comment and and uh, would be love to have a conversation fantastic well warren this has just been so informative um i want to thank you um one of the things i try to do at this program is just share the knowledge and expertise of um, uh, custom home builders and remodelers with the public, because I, I believe that to the extent you become a more educated consumer, you're going to be happier with whatever products and services you're buying. So the case here is you've been able to share uh, 30 years of experience in custom home design, some of the highlights of that experience with our listeners and that's just really a treasure. And I, I thank you so much for that. Well, thanks for the chance just to talk about uh, uh, this topic and and work. We're at an interesting juncture. And I have to say, I'm, I'm still really enjoying working uh, as an architect. There is uh, realities of, you know, of our own mortality. But, but I hope that uh, we still have you know, uh, time to, to continue to, to stay involved in, in this kind of work. Uh, that's excellent. Well, to uh, to everyone else, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, this program is Designing and Building Your Dream Home. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download the program wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, KT, and we look forward to visiting with you next week. <laughs>